know, we, we make so many choices. Even this morning, you're all here because of the choice you made. And you will see those who have small children had to make a choice, either find a babysitter or one parent come and which parent comes. So you see so many choices are made. And uh, God says in his word through Moses, I set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And he says, choose. Choose life. He says, choose, and he makes a suggestion, not a command, because then our will would be bent, a suggestion, an advice from a father to his children. Choose life. When Israel has gone so far away from God on Mount Carmel, Elijah will gather Israel back together, and he will also will tell them, Choose this day whom you will follow. If Yahweh is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. Joshua to the second generation that enters into the promised land after the conquest before his death, he will also say, Choose this day whom you will serve. Either the gods of your fathers, forefathers before they crossed the river, or God who brought you to this land and gave you victory. So our choices will ultimately decide whom we follow and whom we serve. Okay, so today as parents, you have come here to make a choice for your children, child children. thing is that you cannot make choices unless you have information. And the amount of information we receive and how we interpret it determines our choices. That's why God says in his word, my people perish. Not because of lack of anything else, but because of lack of knowledge. We need knowledge to make choices. Like if, and also depends upon when you make your choices, what are you going to put first? Like if I'm a parent who is interested in academics, then I will make a choice for my child for his education based on academics. If I am interested in sports for my son, then even when I make a choice, I will put sports first. Okay. Or if I'm interested in fine arts, then when I'm picking a school, I make a choice. If my child is very unruly, then my son, let's say my son is very unruly, then I make a choice, I put discipline in the beginning and I'll try to see if I can get him into signing school. Okay, so we make our choices based on what we want for our child and the information we have. But here, the question is, how do we see? Okay, first, let me give you the basic text on which, because we need to base everything. Our premises have to be based on primary text from the Bible. The primary text I have for today is from Psalm 127, 3 to 5. Uh, it's KDB version. Low children are an heritage of the Lord. So the first thing when we hear, read these words, be very careful that we decide the ownership of our children. The children are not ours. They belong to him. They hate from him. Because ownership always will determine choices. Okay. When I drive my scooter, if I hit something, I'm okay. It's my scooter. When my driver drives my car, when he hits, he's, he's worried because he knows he doesn't own the car. He calls up and says, sir, I did, what do I do? So ownership will always change a whole lot of how we make choices. And scripture says, they belong to God. All our children belong to God. They are not. So we as believers, when we are making a choice for our children, always 
Remember, we are just stewards. They are not ours. They are given to us for a season. They belong to God. So it is the duty of parents to find out what does God want for our children. And we have a God who actually answers. And we see right from in the Bible when Rebecca conceived and she had twins in her womb. And there was a huge, it was not gas. There was a huge thing happening in her womb and the children were moving and they were struggling and uh, she had no gynec to go to and she had, it was a smart move. She on the other went to the one, God who knit those babies together in her womb, she went to them and God gave an answer. God said, there are two nations in your womb and he made a very clear pronouncement over those children. The elder shall serve the younger. Elder shall serve the young. And as soon as she saw the destiny of God was determined with the younger one, she made informed choices. She formed informed choices. will have a lasting effect on the one which was chosen by God. Because we know Isaac did not make those choices for their sons, but Rebecca made. So as a mother, you can make those choices once you know this is the future of your child. We will know. It's very, I say it's very simple because God knows average man is very bad in maths. Okay, very bad in maths. He put it easy in Bible for us to understand. So we know Abraham had Isaac at 40. Isaac got 100. Isaac got married at 40. So Abraham is 140. Isaac prayed at 20 years before he had his twins. So Isaac became a father at 60. And Abraham dies at 175. 175. So we know. So the simple maths is this. Scripture is very clear. Esau liked going out. He's a wild guy. But Rebecca kept Jacob with her. With her deaths. So there is a spiritual influence which is actually happening in Jacob's life. Jacob was a wise mother. She knew his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac had a lot to give to Jacob. So 15 years Jacob was influenced by his grandfather Abraham and his father Isaac because there. And you will see that will ultimately determine the course that he will have. So remember God speaks. God when we hear from God what we want for our children, we make those choices for our children. So as mothers, as parents, I pray that you, you make those informed choices. Let God inform you. But the question is now, what is our perspective? Keep this in the back, okay? Now, children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward. So these don't see that as a burden. Okay? Don't see children as a burden. God says they are a Reward. So see children as a reward. Never. They will trouble you. No end. Okay. That's how God teaches parents patience. Without children, we will never be patient. Okay. So God has sent that. We think we have to teach our children. God sees it the other way that he has sent the children to teach us. Okay. We learn patience. So that's the reward. Ultimately, when we get our reward in heaven, we will see our children had a lot to play in our reward. They taught us a lot of things which we would have never learned from books. Okay? As arrows are in the hands of a mighty man, so are the children of your youth. This mighty man is actually God. Okay? Mighty man is actually God. Yeah, verse 5 says, Happy is the man that has his quiver full of death. The government knows it and the world is in the hands of the enemy. That's why they say you should only have two. Because they know your quiver is full of arrows, it's deadly for the devil and his world. 
Okay, so don't believe what the world says. Have as many children as you can. Blessed is the man whose cure is full of love, for they shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies, God's enemies in this age. These children will bring judgment, the God's judgment pass upon this world. Okay, so this is the text, background from it. But the question is, what is our perspective? Question, first question I have is, how do you see yourself? How do we see ourselves? Because perspective defines a lot of things. Two, how do we see the world we live in? These two questions are important. How do I see myself? How do I see the world I live in? Will determine what I want for my children. What I want for my children. How do I see myself? There are many, like in maths, we say there are many permutations and combinations. We don't understand these words. Ask him. He's the major in maths, okay? But permutations and combinations. Because you have two or three, you have many combinations. And I want this. I want you to look at 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 20. The very God of peace, okay, very God of peace, sanctify you wholly, completely, and pray God, and I pray God, how does he sanctify you wholly? Your whole spirit and soul and body. This is God's perspective, okay? When God sees me, he sees me from a different perspective. He sees my spirit first. Then he sees my soul. And then he sees my body. When I look into my mirror, I see my body first. And I reason out in with my soul. But very rarely we factor the spirit in. But God is a spirit. God is a spirit. He sees the spirit first. All unbelieving people have only the soul and the body. They don't have a spirit. They don't have a spirit. Everybody under the old covenant, they have only a soul and a body. They don't have a spirit because scripture says when God breathed into Adam, Adam became a living soul. The first Adam was a living soul. The last Adam is a life-giving spirit. That is where scripture says even now when the law is read, a veil covers because the word of God is spiritually discerned. We can understand with our soul, but we can only really discern the heart and the mind and the ways of God through our spirit. So when you see people in the world, have mercy upon them because they don't have a spirit. They don't have a spirit. They're not born again in the spirit. But we are born again. If you're born again of the spirit of God, do we see spirit first? Or do we see body first? Or do we see soul first? That's the question. Because depending upon this permutation and combination, we will make our choices. If you give spirit first, then we make spiritual choices. If you are soul first, then you will make intellectual decisions. Okay, this is, this is, you will try to figure it out. Rebecca went to God and heard from God. She didn't make an intellectual decision. She decided, let God speak. So you will make an intellectual decision. Some of the decision may be wonderful in terms of the world, might be absolutely wrong in the terms of the spirit. Prime example, here is this. Intellectual decision made by the parents, pushed him, pushed him, spanked him, everything, got him into engineering, got him into IIT, finished his PhD in robotics. Now, preaching. Okay. Can you imagine the amount of money his parents would have saved if they had fasted and said, I have set him apart for me. Thank you, Lord Bible College. Okay. So you see, intellectual decision. Intellectual decision. But not spiritual. 
स्पिरिट फर्स्ट और सोल फर्स्ट और बॉडी फर्स्ट बॉडी फर्स्ट सो दैट्स व्हाट गॉड सेज हाउ डू वी सी आवर सेल्फ डू वी सी बॉडी फर्स्ट सोल फर्स्ट और स्पिरिट फर्स्ट और डू वी सी सोल फर्स्ट एंड बॉडी एंड वी हार्डली मेंशन दैट स्पिरिट एट ऑल बट we want our perspective basically but this is this will this got to do with your decision and how long will will you hang on to the decision because you're going to face enormous pressure to continue to allow your children to to study in an environment like this us it's easy there are millions of children who are doing homeschooling and doing through aids here it's a very small group very very small group under enormous pressure where the government want to centralize education and make the color saffron that's their whole agenda and they are trying to shut down a lot of systems and bring in a lot of the other systems in. and we need to put a ring around our children how are we going to keep them safe because that's when they are most vulnerable when they are young so depending upon like i said how do you see if you see spirit first i believe you have seen spirit first that's why you are here you will make spiritual choices okay spiritual choices the example that i used at the dtlc anniversary was this when you get into a car when you get into a car you see different people driving different way and the cars you buy everything is a choice but somebody who buys a car he will ask does it have airbags what is its safety record he gets in to drive he puts a seat belt first because he's first looking at safety security car has a purpose the purpose is to take you from point a to point b but it is not enough to reach point b in pieces you have to reach point a to point b whole our god wants to make us whole so when you want to reach whole the first consideration is not speed or the comfort of the vehicle the first consideration should be safety and the first thing when we choose something for our children is will my child be safe in this place our children are not safe anymore in the schools of this nation or in this world they are not safe they are not safe so safety is the first i told pastor with if this thing was there when my children were small i would have never thought about a school in the city i would have put them in gtls where i knew they would be safe safe safety of the spirit first safety of their soul safety of their body are we thinking about safety first is my question so how do you see yourself is the second question second thing how do we see the world how do we see the world do we see it through the prism of god's word or do we see it through the tv the newspapers the magazines and whatsapp and what's not up everything one john 519 god tells i just give a few verses about the world so that we meditate a plenty but as and we know that we are of god and the whole world lies under the power of wickedness power of evil the whole world the whole world system it's not just talking about people it's not talking about people though it people are but mostly the world system the education system the politics the economics music are everything and we know there is a negative prince puts it across this way that the whole world is decaying you take a tomato it hangs over there it's red but if you leave it over there after some time it will fall it will rot you take it and you keep it 
You keep it for some time, it starts rotting. You take the tomato, put it in your fridge, you can avoid rotting for a few weeks maybe, but it doesn't matter, it will still rot because decay has been set in. The whole world is under corruption, it is a decay. And you know when it starts, time goes on, the decay gets deeper and deeper and it starts smelling. That is the nature of the world. The whole world is going down and down and down. Corruption is setting in until the man of rebellion is manifested. That's the height of corruption. And we need to see. I need to see myself how God sees me, spirit, soul, body. Then I need to see the world where he has placed me. This is the nature of the world. This is the nature of the world into which you and I are sending our children out or we will send our children. Second one, James 4, 4. Then connected with this, God is calling. Now James is written, Epistle of James is written to believers. It is not written to unbelievers. It's all written to believers. We read verse 1 and 2 or you don't have to go there, but chapter 1. Will see. It's all written to believers. These episodes are written to believers. And believers are also making uninformed choices and going into the world. A set of people who are baptized and set apart for God, going into the world. And God calls them adulterers and adulterers. He uses a very, very physical thing. Spiritually, he says, you are going to the one who is my enemy. Adulterers and adulteresses, know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Enmity with God. We want, if you want our children to be like the world and we are grooming them for the worst, God calls that enmity with God. He said the children are mine, don't forget. Children are mine. It's enmity with God. So understand how God sees the world and God sees worldly Christians. He says if you are a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Okay. Third one, Galatians 1.4. Galatians 1. I'm just giving you a few verses connected with the word. Galatians 1, 4, scripture says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil? The very reason Christ came and died, God sent his own son, is not so that we could go back into the world, but we could be delivered from this evil world. This perspective has to be clear because it's connected with the choices we are making for our children. In this world, God has put and Galatians 4.3. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of this world. Before we came to the Roma, the children are under the bondage of the elements of this world. That's why God has given believing parents so that we bring them out of bondage and put them in a safe environment. So the question is, how do I see myself? To how do I see this world into which God has put us? Because this will decide what we want for our children. Am I preparing? I and you, are we preparing our children for the world? Or are we preparing the children for God so that they will live for Him and serve Him? It's the question we have to make. It's a faith question. It's not a side question. It's a faith question. What am I preparing my children for? To live for God and to serve Him, or uh, go to church on a Sunday, but ultimately rise up in this world. So I said, I am only here to speak that perspective. How does God see our children? So we saw in Psalm 127, children are a heritage of the Lord. All our children will go through three places primarily before they are released into the world. The three places are one, hope, two, school, and third, because you are believers, church, three places. 
all these three places are where they are meant to be prepared for God. All three places, not just. I have, we have a, we have a, in Malayalam it's interesting that the name for church is Pali. And the name for school is Pali Buddha. Because school was always associated with the church, never apart from the church. School and the church, you know, every famous university in the world was started as seminaries, where today you cannot speak God, you cannot have the Bible, everything, Oxford, Cambridge, Harvard, everything with seminaries, meant to prepare men and women to serve God. That's how they began it, but you know how it ends. When the world gets in, you ultimately get God out, and this is what happens. That's why we have to know these three, home, school, church. This is where our children are prepared. They are strengthened and balanced like arrows. This is where arrows are made. Arrows are made in the home, in the school, and in the church. So what does it mean? It means these three are not separate entities. They work together. They work together. We don't separate these three and say, okay, I'm taking my child and putting it in school. It's your job. And then Sunday we take our child and put it in Sunday school and say, when it comes to spirit, it is your job. <laughs> so the body is taken care at home. I feed you, I clothe you, I give you what your body needs. The intellect is taken care of in the school and the spirit is taken care of at Sunday school. Because it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. All three work together. If our, we want our children to be really successful in the kingdom of God. These three have to work together in partnership. In partnership. So don't bring the ideas we have in the secular world that all has to be put away in the back burner and burn it in the back. Okay? <laughs> Just don't leave it there. It has a habit of coming back. Okay? Burn it. And say, no, Lord. Home, school, and church. That's where GTLC comes in. Because GTLC is an absolutely Christian school. And your home should be absolutely Christian. And your church, I hope, and I believe, is absolutely Christian. They say there are many churches that are not Christian. They only have the name of Christ and they are not Christian. But they come from believing churches. Our children, by God, was designed, designed to make an impact on the world. To accomplish a goal and a purpose. That's what an arrow is. That's what an arrow is. As long as the arrow remains in the cure, it doesn't matter how great an arrow is, it has failed its purpose. The purpose of an arrow is to create an impact. And our children, God says, are designed for that. But he says, that's my purpose, planned for them. And he says, I have given them into your hands so that through this process, this process of home, school, and church, Make it into one spiritual, it's one long entity. There shouldn't be a discord between these three places. That's why the Bible talks about unity. When it talks about unity, it talks about two kinds of unity. The unity of faith and the unity of spirit. You cannot have a unity outside that faith comes from hearing the word and the, uh, the, the word is the truth of God. So unity comes from faith through truth and through the spirit. So these three entities are one in unity, our home our school, and our church. These three. And 
If they accomplish their purpose, we don't know, only God will know. We may not be even there to see it. But scripture talks about it, Acts 13 and verse 36. This is what scripture says. Acts 13 and verse 36. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God. Awesome. We don't see, read Old Testament and we see how David lived and we see all his falls and failures and finally how he finishes. We always wonder, did he achieve God's purpose? God says, yes, he did. He achieved the purpose for which I said. He achieved God's purpose in his own generation. All our children should achieve God's purpose, God's will in their generation. Okay. That's the key. In their generation, they should be able to fulfill. God once said about Abraham like this in Genesis 18 and verse 19. This is what God said about Abraham. For I know him. It's now he's talking about the father, the parent. Okay, So parents, their father, mother. I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which was spoken of him. He says, I have spoken something over you, Abraham, but for it to come to pass, it is also connected with your dissonance. And for it to come to pass in your dissonance, you have an incredible role to play. You have an incredible role to play. You will command your children. Today we don't command, we cajole, we offer them gifts and ice cream, but he commanded. Didn't matter what old age what is. Esau, with your mother, I'm sorry, you're out. No fighting and rebellion and trying to create, get some servants on his side, nothing. I said, we are going up and I'm going to tell you, old man, young, strong, son, no, he had. But the result of it was, God's justice and judgment came upon subsequent. So the father, the parents, the home has a role to play, not just the school. That's the reason why I said, purpose, what's your perspective first? So if these three units work together, the home, the school, with one aim, Lord, I want your righteousness and your judgment to come upon my children. Then we succeed. Otherwise, the children will hear one thing at home, and then they hear another thing at school, and they hear a third thing at church, and they will be always confused. Confused. Children don't listen so much. They imitate. They imitate. Remember that. We'll come back to that later. Okay? So God's purpose is to make a polished arrow in the pure of the mighty warrior, so that we have maximum impact with our generation. This is once said in John 14 and verse 12. I say unto you, very verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that he shall do, I do, shall he also do also, and greater works than he shall he do, because I go unto my Father. Now you look at it, he says, if you believe me, you not only will do my works, you will do even greater works. This is what we also should believe as parents. And if I believe in the Lord Jesus, my children will not only reach my level in spirit, they will also go even beyond that. That's a desire of every parent. True parent wants the children to excel. And you know that the one who started worst in that first three patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, ultimately when he finishes, he finishes better than his father and his 
grandfather. And he says, the blessings of your father, Jacob, has exceeded that of your fathers. That should be the way it is. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Jesus probably around 30, 50 square kilometers was his entire ministry. But his disciples took it to the ends of the world. If Jesus healed by a word and by a touch, even the shadow of Peter could heal people. And we know shadow doesn't have substance. <laughs> okay, so he healed without substance. So you see, that's what God is talking about. And we need to believe that for our children, that our children should be able to accomplish more than us. We know that is true in the body. You know that. Every generation, every Olympics, one thing we know is the 100 meter record is only coming down, it's not going up. <laughs> Nobody thought you could break it at the 10 second barrier. Then somebody broke it. And those records are only meant to be broken, somebody said. Yeah? So we saw it in the body, we know it is true. Every generation is only excelling better and better in the body. We know in the terms of the soul, in the intellect, every generation is actually smarter. These children are much, much, these children today know Stuff we didn't know at 12 and 13 and 14, they only get it smarter. So in the body, in the soul, they are excelling. But there's a problem. God has said flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it doesn't matter how much they excel in the body, how much they excel in the soul. The, the judgment is finally on the spirit. Do you know me or do you not? Did you walk? See, do you know me or do you not? No, that's the first question. If you know me, get it. Second thing, if you know me, how do you serve me? That is, that's, that's the second judgment which goes for our crown, for our reward. And that is what we are preparing our children for, and we will prepare our children for that only if that is what we too long in our lives. We too long in our lives. If we don't long that for our lives, for our children, this is God's purpose. I need to shield you from all these influences. I need to make you ready. But you are an arrow. You are not be meant kept to be in the cure. But you have to be released one day. But I promise you when I release you, you will be prepared to face the world and you will prosper there in God, not outside of God. That's what Hanna cried and cried and year after year after year going to Shiloh, crying, 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 crying. But all her longings were in the flesh. She wanted a baby because her co-sister, what do you call her? Yeah, I don't know. Her husband had two wives, okay? So her, it's not even a sister in law, right? <laughs> her husband's second wife had so many children, she had no children and she used to mock her. That was provoking her flesh. Because of that, she wanted a child. So many people want their child because of the wrong reasons. I tell my young ones to say that you should have the courage now seeing the times and what scripture has recorded. Lord, if you know that you give me a child and this child will not serve you ultimately, I don't want a child. I don't want a child. I don't want to create a manasa in my life. I want a child ultimately, you know, whose end from the beginning that will serve you. Otherwise, I will be fine, content without having a child. Hannah's desire was all connected with the flesh until one day she was broken and then, you know, uh, I read last week, I was in the, coming back from Kathmandu, I won a mission trip in Nepal and when it's coming back, I read something and they say, uh, this question, why does God love a broken and a contrite heart? Why does God love a broken? And this man of God said, it's only when your heart is broken you can see the inside of your heart. Mm -hmm. 
Until it's broken, you really don't know who you are. So, you know, she was broken before God and her will was aligned with God's will. And then she says, Lord, you give me a child. I promise you, I give the child back. And God heard. God heard. Samuel was born. When Samuel was born, the mother makes a very clear spiritual decision. Every year they go to Shiloh. And she told the husband, you go Elkanah, you take the others, I'm not bringing Samuel. I'm not bringing him to Shiloh until he's ready to be given over to the Lord. The mother was a very prospective mother. She saw the world, she saw the temple, she knows her son has to go to the temple one day, but she knew the temple was evil. She knew Eli was evil. She knew Phineas and Hopini was evil. She knew the Levites and the priests all had become evil. We know this world is evil. We know our children have to go ultimately to the evil world. If you don't ultimately release our children to the evil world to fulfill their purpose, I promise you, if you don't send it, God will tie your children up and take them by force, like Joseph did. Jacob got it with Joseph. Jacob would have never released Joseph to do his fulfill. So God tied him up and took him. So that you would fulfill God's purpose in the world. Because God said, you are not of the world, but I am sending you into the world. But at a prepared stage. So you will see, when Samuel is ready, the mother has prepared him, sends to the evil world. Eli is there, Hopni is there, Phineas is there, but none of them influence him. None of them influence him. Because what is influencing him, I believe, are the words and the prayers what his mother put into his heart. And he's able to see the world and God through that perspective. And you will see, scripture says, he's the only one who is able to hear the voice of God in that place. And that's how we prepare our children. We prepare our children that way. We mentor them not just with our words, we mentor them with our lives. And I believe Samuel saw that that with Hannah. There's a very beautiful line written about Hannah and Samuel, for which, for me, it's spiritual that it says every year uh, Samuel, uh, Hannah used to go to visit Samuel. Every year when my mother dropped, parents dropped me at the age of 11 in Kerala, my parents were working in Bhutan. Every year they came to see me, but every year my mother knew how much I would have grown. Without seeing in 1960s, 70s, there is no photograph, no phone, nothing. But every year she knew my son would have grown this much. And accordingly, she got me something. Every year, Hannah knew what would be the size of Samuel and she would bring him an effort. Meaning, if we are spiritual parents, we have insight and we have trained them well, we should know every year they should grow this much more spiritually. We should know. Know that they should fit into this robe of righteousness God has made for our children. They need to keep on growing and not stay at the stage in which we send them in the first place. So this, the Bible is full of the beauty of how God mentors and brings up our children. Like I said in the beginning, an arrow does not become an arrow by itself. Every arrow was once an ordinary reed. Every arrow was once an ordinary reed. And every reed that became an arrow in the hand of a mighty warrior, there was so much that was done with that arrow. It doesn't become. So there are so many things which we have to do. And God says they have to be prepared and to be fashioned to become an arrow in the power of that mighty one. This is what God will tell the parents of Israel in Deuteronomy 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently. 
unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thy house, when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. He says, this is how, how it should be. Now it's not talking about, what we do is that we put scripture all around. It's fantastic. We, sometimes we teach them scripture or so. That's not. He says, your entire atmosphere in your house should be saturated by the word of God. He was the word that became flesh and dwelt upon us. We are born in the flesh, born again by the word, and ultimately the word has to grow and consume our flesh. It's a reverse process for us. He was the word, he became flesh, walked among us, and showed us how does the word walk in a body, live in a body, serve in a body. We are born again by the same word. First Peter 121 and James 118 will tell us we are born again by the word of truth. As that word grows, it consumes the flesh, and the children need to see that. That's what he's talking about. Instead, what did they do? They started making stuff and hanging it around the eye. They started and hanging it around the head. We see the same thing in every religion, including Christianity. They will have a band saying, Jesus loves me. All that doesn't make any difference unless you really love him and it shows in your life. That's what he told. This is what is tied up, right? And when the okay, is done, yeah, verse 7 will say, yeah, this another one we say tie it when you walk yeah, yeah, around. Yeah. That's what the Jews, Orthodox Jews will put scripture and put it around their head, but it never touched their heart. Never touched their heart. And God is saying it's not about that. You know, the children are watching, so dad will say, Memorize this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Then why are you always anxious? <laughs> I'm always anxious. That are you teaching me after some time? You said, Dad taught me this, but he was always active. Dad and Mommy were always fighting over money. And he teaches me, I shall not want. The first thing God wants to do, he makes me to lie down. And that's the first thing God. God doesn't want us to do anything. He's first lie down. Be at rest. Before I can do anything in your life, first thing I want to tell you is, I don't want help from you. <laughs> Sit down. Sit down. Lie down. That's the most difficult thing for a Christian to do is sit down. If before you can have the multiplication of the bread with five loaves, God will say, tell them to sit down. But we don't sit down. We are anxious. Lord, how do I help you? Lord, how do I help you? Sit down. So we teach children scripture. But if you don't live it, they see the discipline. They're very, very perspective. Very, very perspective. I heard a story about the pastor and this wife uh, who were invited by a couple in the church for dinner. And they had a big, uh, yeah, come, come. They come here. Come, please. I heard, yeah, I heard about this pastor and the old man and his wife were invited for dinner. And the children were there. And the family had, church family had invited them, and they told one of the little boys to say grace. So they said thank you. They had no clue what they were asking for, because children listen to very clearly to what parents talk in the house. Okay. So the boy said, Father, I thank you for this day, thank you for this food, thank you for daddy, thank you for mommy, and thank you for this old goat who has come for dinner. <laughs> That's how they used to talk about their pastor in the house. They all good. Okay. So the child, we don't realize. We say a lot of stuff and the years are like Angela picking up stuff. 
So we teach them scripture, say something that is totally contradictory, they will forget scripture, but they will remember the other thing. That's what God is talking about. This is the atmosphere in which we need to look. The atmosphere is there is there at home, and the same atmosphere is there at school, and the same atmosphere is there at church. You know, there's no discord in their minds because children are always looking at authority figures and they see the father and mother. They know they are authority figures. They come to school, they see the teachers. They know the figures of authority. Then they come to church, they see the Sunday school teachers, they see the pastor. They're all authority figures. And when they see all these figures of authority, think in the same wavelength, act in the same wavelength. You know, there is an enormous confirmation for them that this word is true. This word is true. They are struggling because they see the discord. And we are to be blamed. As parents, we have failed. As teachers, we have failed. And it's not that we need to be perfect. Scripture doesn't talk about being perfect except in love. Scripture talks about being blameless. Being perfect and being blameless are two different things. Being perfect, only God is perfect. Being blameless is as parents, when I make a mistake, I humble myself and I tell my child, you know honey, I'm sorry, daddy got angry with you yesterday, but he was angry and I shouldn't have shouted at you. So sorry honey, you know what, now I'm blameless. Blameless. I am blameless. Tomorrow when I tell my little one, say sorry to your brother, it's very easy. Because she's seen her father say sorry to her. It's very easy. So God is not telling us to be perfect. He will make us perfect one day. God is telling us to be blameless. To be blameless. And children see this. Children are watching. What I'm, why I'm getting into this? Don't think the GTLC will change your children if your home and your church are different. They will struggle, struggle, struggle. And ultimately, I will tell you, tell everywhere I go, the, our flesh, our body, our flesh, is like a river. And if you have noticed a river, no river flows up. It always flows when there is no resistance. Okay. So when children have to make these choices and they see this discord, the flesh will always take them to a way where there is no resistance. It's, ah, daddy says this, teacher says this, Sunday school teacher says this. When I look at the three, this is the easiest I'll go that way. It always shifts. Like, like I was telling in the church, Nobody can live without truth. It's impossible. God said, I am truth. So if, we do, if I don't live by God's truth, I will frame my own truth so that I can live because otherwise my conscience won't, won't let me. So people frame their own truth. So God goes to Bethsaida and says, do you want to get well? That's the question Jesus is asking this cripple. Do you want to get well? And his answer is, oh, when the angel comes and stirs the water, I never get to somebody else. But that's not what I asked that's your truth. That's your truth. Now you are putting the blame on somebody else. Did you eat the fruit which I told you of? No, the woman you gave me. And that's not what I asked you. I asked you whether you ate or not. If Adam had said, yes, Lord, I ate. And I'm sorry, you're released, you're delivered, you're free. But he won't accept that. He has to justify what he did, what was wrong. So you create your own truth. And children see that. We don't create truths. We live by God's truth. That is the only truth that can set me free and set our children free, our congregation free. Otherwise, we make little, little spaces of lies in our life. The Son of Man did not come to keep us in that. He came to set us free. So God is talking about that. This is the atmosphere we create. 
So as parents and teachers, mentors, we teach our children to have faith in God and love for his word. And one day, it will not be an inherited faith, it will be a personal faith. Let's say God comes and says, how person I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He may have your God. Your God, I don't say I'm the God of my father. No, I'm your God. And many times they will say God of my father until the God of their father becomes their God. So our children will worship our God and one day our God must become their God and all the three realms play into it. So like I said, they don't become like that automatically. They are made. Arrows are made. So it is teamwork. It is home, school and church are in this together because not like Hillary Clinton said the future is the woman. No, the future is our children. <laughs> what? Future is our children. <laughs> the future is the children. Probably poor lady thought the future would be woman and she got out. <laughs> the man said, no, you are not our future. <laughs> okay. And half the women of America also said, women are not the future. Our children are the future. Okay, the future, remember, is the children. So we get together because to have a, to come together in unity, we need to have a common purpose. Our common purpose is as parents. We want all our children to serve God and follow Him and walk with Him and make those right choices all the days of our life. So because of that, we come together, these three. So when we drop off our children at school, it does not mean we have no more responsibility. Okay, and I would request the mothers who are at home. I believe Anna never spent a day without interceding for her son, though she had dropped him off at school, boarding school. She never ever stopped praying for this. Oh, it's such a very very terrible world. The last days we are living. I tell my church this is final promise of God in the book of Malachi. Before this, it actually connected with the second coming. He says, before those great and dreadful day, he says, I will turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers. That's his time. Because everything that you see happening gone wrong in this world is because the men have disappeared. The fathers have disappeared from the public sphere. So that's why every attack is on fatherhood because the devil knows God is a father. The fatherhood is being attacked. Fatherhood is demeaned. Laws are being changed. Everything to demean fatherhood. And God said there's a discord. Illegitimate children all around, sprouting around the world. Rebellion, he says. The last final move, I will restore the heart of the father to the children and the children to the father. The question I ask the church is, therefore, where is the, where are the mothers during the restoration? The answer is the mothers are in their prayer closet, fasting and praying for this restoration. For this restoration. So your mothers have an incredible role to play. So you don't just drop your children at school. You continue steadfastly upholding that school and the church when we go. So many parents have, like I said in the beginning, divided the children. Home is where the body is taken care of. School is where the soul is taken care of. And Sunday school and church is where the spirit is taken care of. We made that division. God did not make that division. So education begins at home. It doesn't begin at school. What children are at school is often a reflection of what parents are at home. 
My piece of advice as a much older parent now is if you have conflicts in your house, let it be after the children have gone to sleep, let it be behind closed door. Conflicts, issues should be there. It's the whole process is between God made this ordinance about marriage. For this purpose, man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one. As long as you don't cleave, there is no problem. When cleaving becomes, and when you try to become one, the question arises, which one? <laughs> so, it is not man becoming like the woman, the woman like the woman, it's both becoming like God. But we forget which one. Okay, we say, you have to become like me. And she says, no, you have to become like me. And they have their own arguments, I am the head, so you should become like me. She said, no, I was made last, so the best comes at the end, so you should become like me. God says, say, look here, I was there from the beginning, you are my creation, my ideas, so why don't you both settle down and try to become like me? Okay, so becoming one. Okay, so you'll have conflicts. When you have this conflict piece of advice, wait till hanging there till the child goes to sleep. Okay, when you have your by the time usually that conflict will go. But, and then try to discuss, like I said, like, discuss the issues. Once you have trained yourself just to discuss the issues, then you will also come to a point where you are able to discuss the issues before the children without conflict. The children also realize conflicts can be resolved by discussing issues. But usually, after some time, they forget the issue and they start attacking the person. And we bring the entire history from the time you got married or from, from the time you got uh, started dating. Okay, so that's why when two men were discussing about the fights at home, he says, my wife, when we start fighting, she gets hysterical. My, the other one said, my wife doesn't get hysterical, she gets historical. <laughs> okay, no, the, you, you have to resolve conflicts, but remember, there are years, little years, and one thing every child wants more than anything else, more than food, more than clothing, more than the gifts you can buy, they want security. When they see parents fighting, the first thing they start seeing is security going. And God has made the home a very secure place. The devil hates that security that God gives. Honestly, you look at how his agenda is the most secure place in the world for a child has become the most dangerous place in the world. The womb is supposed to be the most secure place. No child is safe. The abortion industry is growing and thriving because the most secure place has become the most dangerous place. The second most secure place, the child is not born into a house. The child is supposed to be born into a home. And God says, make that place very secure. Because if you don't, when your child comes to school, he's just manifesting what he saw at home. If he had peace at home, he comes to school as a peaceful, cheerful little fellow. If you have a terrible conflict, he comes up and he starts showing it up at school. Okay, so remember, education doesn't begin at school, it begins at home, and God will hold us children, our parents, accountable. So, also at home, another thing which I want to think is that scripture is very clear in John, I mean, you don't have to go there, but we all know that scripture. God says, do not love the world or the Things of the world. Okay, these things of the world is a very, very dangerous thing. A dangerous thing. Okay. So we have to teach our children how we use our resources. 
how we use the words. We don't love things. We use things. And everything has has a utility value. How long can I stretch it? Because I may get something free. But nothing is free. Even if I get something free, somebody has paid the price for it. Somebody has paid the price for it. Everything. Nothing comes free, including time. I tell my church, you ask me for an appointment and you said you come at 10 and then you come at 11. You have stolen one hour from me. You are a thief. Because my, for me, time is precious. Because everybody gets only 24 hours. Okay. You kept, stole time from me. So everything. So time is a resource. Things are resources. If we teach our children that these are, we don't love it, but we use it and we are good stewards. The reason is when they come to school, also we inculcate it. So they start using the things in the school also carefully. Carefully. And you know what? This is how values are inculcated. But as parents, we don't care and we buy things which we don't want, spend our resources on that. We are putting a very wrong pattern. And then in the school when they come, no, be very careful. Use both sides of the paper. We don't need a fresh paper. One is printed. You can use also that. We tell them, so what's this? It seems to be very conjuice. But he's not conjuice. He's a good steward. Okay? Very good steward. So, we teach this, so that's what I said, education, there should not be a discourse. The most beautiful thing that can happen, because you're all believing parents. You have a believing school, and you have a believing church. These three can work in one line. And it is, our children can be the mightiest generation ever God has made. Second thing I want to talk about that connected with that is trust. God has trusted our children into our hands. God has he knows who we are. We know we are fallible. We know we are terrible. Still, he has trusted us with children. So when you drop your children to school in the same manner, trust your children with the teachers. Don't You don't need a CCTV camera in the classroom and monitor from home what my children You don't need trust. It's a believing, it's not unbelieving teachers. It's a believing teachers. So trust them and pray for them. Pray for them, Lord. Help them. Lord. Where I fail, Lord, let them be strong so that my child sees a stronger model than me. Where they are weak, strengthen them up, oh Lord, because this is about my child. So trust your teachers. Okay, I, tr I trust the teachers here because I know them, okay? But my children are not here. Your children are here. Trust them. Because in life, everything works on trust. If there is no trust, it collapses. Third, both parents and teachers with the children, I will use that old proverb, Rome was not built in a day, nor will your children become saints in a day. So what do we need? Lots of patience. Lots and tons and tons of patience. And if you study scripture, patience is one of the most important, probably the most important, close to love, the most important virtue in the last days. Because God says, only those who are patient till the end will endure. Otherwise, we'll follow. So we need to have incredible patience with our children. Teachers, you need to have incredible patience with your children. Because you need to believe first in God, not in man. First in God. And that I have believed in my God. Therefore, I have faith in my child. One day, he will become. He will become. I, I, I tell about the prodigal son's story that the son went, the father released him, and he went. But I believe every day he used to watch from the window. 
He knew the culture. He knew when travelers used to come. Every time during that period, he was there by the window watching from the sun. He didn't have much faith in the sun, but he had great faith in his God. And he had great faith in which he had mentored his children in the ways of God. I believe there were many tears during the dining table. One chair is always empty. I see in my mind the mother getting up and going, not eating. The father putting his stuff down. I say, because they can't. One child is missing. That child is missing. But he has incredible faith, incredible patience, and he keeps, he keeps going. And then he sees that such his patience has paid off. His child has come back. His child has come back. So therefore, I'm not saying in spite of everything that we do, our children might still make wrong choices and choose to go away from home, go away from this Christian upbringing, go away from church, and go away into the world. But we never give up. We never give up. So if you start learning to be patient now when they are small, and God forbid if one of them chooses to go away, we will still be patient, we will still be waiting for them, and still will be interceding. Another thing if I want to tell you as parents and teachers, be extremely fair, impartial, fair, fair. At home, if you have more than one child, be fair. I'm not talking about fair and handsome and fair and lovely. I'm talking about be fair, impartial. The children see that very clear. The sense of righteousness instilled in them by God. They will immediately say, why did you give her two? You gave me only one? They are very, very clear about it. The eyes are watching. They are not watching Muhammad, the other one. They are watching whether you are fair or not. Okay, so be fair at home. Be fair at school. Why? School, why? Because there are some teachers who will have their own children in school. So when you come to school, you are not a mother or a father. You are a teacher. And you will be fair. I had the wonderful lesson of learning it when I was small. My father was the principal. My mom was a teacher. And I had the, I don't know whether to call the fortune or misfortune to be in the same school for many years. And my father was a tough, tough cookie. You know, one day I sat in his chair in his office. The office was empty. I was in classics. I was always empty. And I said, I got a chance. I went in his chair. I didn't know from one window he was watching me. He didn't say anything. He came back home. I got the whooping of my life. He didn't explain anything. He just called me and came me with it. He had a very special game for me. So you know why I became a bastard. He straightened me up. He gave me the whooping of my life and everything was open with tears. I asked him, why did you whoop me? He said, because he sat in my chair. So I said, what's a big deal about it? Not in those words, but I said, what's a big deal about it? <laughs> so he said, that is not your father's chair. That is the principal's chair. You have not earned that right to sit there. Something, I can still remember his words. This must have been in 1974 or something. I can still remember it. It's ingrained in your mind. That he was being very fair. If I let you sit, then I should let every 500 of the students sit on my chair. I have to be fair. So I will not be unfair. I will be fair. I am going to give you a whooping. Because you don't have you just because you happen to be my son at school, you're not my son. And he treated me exactly with thought failure. We get transferred to a new school, and I'm sitting there in the class. They will come and you'll say, What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? What's your father's name? How old are you? Sit up and go without blinking. He never treated me at school as his son, he treated me as a student. 
Never. Only thing it was a little bad happened to be son because if one student did something and got one, I got two. <laughs> so I asked him, when it comes to discipline, why did he give me two? He said, because when it comes to discipline, you are also my son. <laughs> you are not just a student. <laughs> He's a dear student. But when it comes to discipline, I didn't know, he didn't know scripture, but he knew scripture inside. God disciplines us because we are children, we are sons. Okay? So be fair. Parents who teach here, be extremely fair and don't treat your children as children, treat them as students and be fair. Okay, then, like I said, arrows are not meant for the cure, but for release. Even the best arrow, if it is not released, has failed its purpose. So never forget, they are meant to be released. The problem is, many, many, many parents, and we are guilty of it, all of us, we love our children, but our love is selfish. We actually love ourselves more than we love God or our children. If we love our children more than we love ourselves, we will give our children what is good for them. And sometimes they need a good standing but we won't give it to them because it hurts us more than it hurts them. And they will create us more discomfort than, so because of that, it's a very selfish love. Okay, I, I gave this example, if ten children are standing and doing the same thing, if I came and put one's ear, what did that show you? It simply shows you that's my son and the others are not. But ten children are standing there, I give them all and candy and this and thank you and I show you. None of my sons, not necessarily. It's a discipline that will show who our true children are. So accept discipline as God's correction both at home and at school and at church. I have parents, I have had experience parents coming and fighting me about Sunday school teachers who corrected their children. And I said, what do you, so what do you want your child to be? I said, don't complain to me about my teachers. Said, don't, don't do that. First, let us discuss the issue. Don't complain because whatever they are doing, they are doing on my behalf. I remember Pastor Stubbs, most of you might know Pastor Stubbs saying that. When you come into the church, you look so holy and all. But you know what? I've heard you same people tell the security guard outside who are supposed to handle the traffic, saying, how do you stop me? Do you know who I am? Then you come here and say, oh, all is good. And he says, you don't realize that man is operating on my instructions. He's representing me. So these are things which we need to understand. Okay? Understand that this. Once we do that, when our children go out into the world, they will learn to obey the rules of this land. They will have their helmet on. They will have their traffic pollution. They will have their license. They will drive properly because they have been taught to respect authority. You can teach them laws and they will break the laws. But you teach them to respect authority, they will keep the law. Mm -hmm. Our problem is not that our children do not know the law. Our children have not been taught to respect authority. So that in the family, please understand. Honor, honor, honor. Husbands and wives, honor. Wives, honor your husband. If you don't honor your husband, you can be very sure when your daughters get married, they won't honor their husbands. Not because the husbands were not honorable, but because that's what they saw. And husbands, if you're not kind and loving to your wives, be very sure when your sons get married, they will take it into their own homes. So remember, our children are meant to be released one day. 
Can you release them one day? Have confidence. You have done everything that you could do by grace and by the strength of the living God. That's how it is. It's because a lot of people, a lot of mothers especially, have met over the years, feel, Pastor, God has never spoken to me. I don't even know what my ministry is. I asked them, do you have children? He said, yes. That's your ministry. That's your ministry. Have you ever seen your child? Your child has a ministry. So do you know what Samuel did? The history of Israel was impacted by one boy, one man called Samuel. You go back and look at Samuel. Who made Samuel Samuel? After God, it was his mother. That was her ministry. That was her ministry. So see this. See your children as your ministry. See your children at home. You have a tiny congregation. At school, you have a congregation. At church, it's a congregation. And at the head of it all is God. See, it's an act of faith. It's a work of faith. So that's why you chose this school. Otherwise, you would choose some other school. You shouldn't be choosing this school. Academics, there are plenty of places. Sports, there are plenty of Finance, there are plenty All kind of things in the world there is. But why do you choose this place? It's because you put the spirit first. That means you have to continue in the spirit. Ongoing, by faith, by faith, by faith. Continue in faith. Okay. When, uh, as I come to the end, I always say, you want to you wanna learn about this walk of faith? Study Hebrews 11. That is the chapter of faith. And look at the people who are mentioned. The first five people who are mentioned. First one mentioned is Abel is connected with worship. Our life begins with worship. Abel is connected with worship. Second one mentioned is Enoch. Hardly six, seven, eight verses mentioned of Enoch in the entire Bible. But what comes out is Enoch walked with God. So Enoch is connected with our walk with God. The third person mentioned is Noah. What do you know about Noah? You know, he's the first one who's commissioned to do a work for God. So Noah is connected with work. And the fourth person is Abraham. When you come to Abraham, he entered in the promised land at 75, died at 175, 100 years. He's the first one to have to live for God. So you, you, you worship, you walk, you work. It culminates into your entire life of worship, walk and work. It becomes your life. And then you bring forth a ministry which is called Isaac, the perfect son. This is what to what we are called. This is to what we are called. So that once we know we have done this by faith and been blameless where we have failed, we have repented, asked forgiveness with man and with God, then like David could say, a man who made terrible mistakes as a father, and he could say, ultimately, in his last stages, days, he could say, I, gave, I go the way of all the earth. So, Solomon, you be thou strong, therefore, and show thyself a You can tell your daughter, be strong and show yourself as a woman after God. So, a man after God. He could say, tell it to only one son. Couldn't tell it to any of the sons. But that son, that son, the son whom he trained, he trained his son. So we may fail. That doesn't mean we are a failure. We can choose to make, learn from our mistakes. Learn from our mistakes. So that's where as parents, the mothers, you have an incredible role to play. Remember, you have an incredible role to play. And we are preparing our children for that. 
That's the role God has given the children. Amen? One more verse. Yes. Hebrews 9.27. What are we preparing ultimately our children for? What we are preparing for. What is that? No. And it is appointed unto men once to die. After that is judgment. If we are preparing ourselves for judgment, then we prepare our children for judgment. We are preparing. We are looking in the light of that. One day I will have to stand before God and give account. Then we prepare our child, our children also to stand before God and give a good account. Peter will say so that you can have a rich entrance into the kingdom of God. This is what we are preparing ultimately. We, have, we need to have a goal. We need to have a sight. Very clear goal. What am I preparing myself for? That's what I am preparing my child for. It is called judgment. And there is an interesting verse in the Bible. The last verse for today. Genesis. 521, right? What does it say? And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and he begat Methuselah. It is strange, don't you see? I believe that is from, after that, you know, the next scripture will say he walked with God for 300 years. Meaning, his walk with God was somehow affected with the birth of his son. You know, children can change your life drastically. Once your child is born, your life is never the same again. But it's more because of the added burden, trouble, sleepless nights, and all that signal. But that's not what is happening here. Our life should be like this. When our child is born, we should have an experience like he not had. When his child is born, I believe he has a spiritual experience where God tells him, when your child, when your child dies, judgment will come. That's the meaning of it. Child. That's why in God's mercy, Methuselah is the oldest living person in human history. Why is he given him so much? Because of God's mercy. When he dies, judgment will come. Supposing you hear or your child and you say, when this child dies, judgment is going to come upon the whole earth. It will transform your life. The first thing you want to know is that, Lord, if judgment is coming, I want to escape judgment. I want to walk with you. <laughs> Teach me how to walk with you. And I believe Methuselah started walking. Sorry. Enoch started walking. It's the other way. The child is now ministering to the father. I think every time Methuselah had a cold, you know, fact, panic, didn't go to the doctor, went to his prayer closet and started asking for forgiveness. Lord, is he going to die? Then forgive me, Lord, because judgment is coming. That's what his meaning means. To the point by the time he reached 300 years, his walk was so perfect. Perfect. And God said, too good for earth. Take him home. That's how a child influenced the parent. A child influenced the parent. That's what scripture says. Adam, Enoch was the seventh from Adam. Seven is the number of perfection. The first instance of rapture. Hell, my people everywhere. You're looking for rapture, you'll end up with capture. Why? You need to walk like him to be taken. First example God has given. You have to walk like him. You have to be blameless before God if you need to be taken. And therefore we look at our children and say, you know what? I don't want to be taken alone. I don't want to be a stumbling block for them. If I have alone, it's fine. But Lord, make my walk blameless so that they see and they encourage to walk that way before God. It's an incredible thing about his walk. How this child influenced the father and how the father was influenced by this man. Because in the book of Jude, scripture says, Enoch, who was seven from Adam, is the one who prophesied 
Jesus Christ will come, the Lord will come with hands and us. People don't understand this. Enoch, who walked then before the law was given, before Abraham, Isaac, and Moses already knew about the second coming of Christ Jesus, when all the prophets subsequent knew only about the first coming of Jesus Christ. He already knew about the second coming because of that walk. The father's walk can be affected by a child. And the child can live long because the father has more than a walk before him. Longest living child. First raptured father by one of the testament. That's what God has told us as parents, as teachers, and as children. This is it. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father, this morning we just come to you, Lord. I have put before your people the word that you gave me, Lord. The word is yours, it's not mine. My word has no power to change lives, to impact lives, but your word will never go void. It always achieves the purpose for which it is sent forth. And I pray today has parents, believing parents here, Lord. We are all parents, the living parents who have come here together for the good of our children, whom you love, whom you gave to us for a season. I pray, Father, as parents and as teachers and as pastors and as congregations, we will cooperate with the word of God and with the spirit of God so that our children will become everything that you plan for them to be, Lord. That it will be written about each one of them. They fulfill God's purpose in their generation. And then they rested with their fathers. Thank you, Father. I speak your blessing upon the parents. I pray you would bless them. You would keep them. Above all, your hand would be upon all our children, Lord. You said, grace shall be the peace of the children of your servants. And they shall be taught of the Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. We believe and we receive it as a promise for our children. Be with GTLC, be with Justin, be with Pastor Vijay, be with the teachers, all those who help over here, and all the children who come to stay here, Lord, to study here, Lord. Let your hand be there upon them, continuously, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.